that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. It is a Tuesday edition. I am Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com, along with Doug Maurice and Stephen Means. We've got a lot of football to talk about today. We're going to start with a recruiting development from over the weekend. Zen Mahowski, is that how he pronounces it? Machowski. Machowski. Uh, from Floyd Central in, in Indiana, becomes the first offensive tackle to commit to Ohio State in this class. Maybe the only offensive tackle that will eventually get in this class. Not a highly rated guy, a guy that's more on the developmental side. And w- w- I wrote about this in the aftermath of the commitment, that that's sort of the balance that Ohio State strikes. A lot of teams strike, but even at Ohio State, sometimes you have to take those those lower rated guys and try to develop into something. Stephen, was just, I guess, in the in the short and long term, what do you think Ohio State is getting in Michalski, possible developmental guy, but possibly late late bloomer as well. Some other big schools that started to come along in the process. Notre Dame, Clemson, had all started to get involved late in it, late in the summer here. But it, what this boils down to is this: Zim Michalski is a good player, but it's very similar to what Ohio State got in Mayan Williams last year, where they swung big for all these five star kids, didn't get them, and they went and flipped a kid. You know, they flipped Mayan Williams from Iowa State. They were flipping. Zim Muskowski from Louisville. So it's a similar thing where it, they, knew, they knew they weren't getting J.C. Latham, so they put all their eggs in the Tristan Lee. That doesn't look like it's going to happen. So immediately, maybe two months ago, they started this relationship with Zim Muskowski, and very quickly this developed, and they got him to flip. And that's simply what this is right now. It's, a, it's the Mayan Williams of the 2021 class. Which is not good. No. So, I mean – I 100% agree with what you said, Nathan, and we've talked about that before. I think there is a balance of like get top 100 kids on the offensive line and then take some shots down the board on late blooming developmental kids, except this slot in the class was not a late bloomer developmental slot. This is the only offensive tackle in this class. And going by the 247 list, here are the offensive tackles they offered in this class and their overall rank as a player, overall, not by position, but overall. They offered the number seven overall player, 11, 14, 46, 48, 57, 59, 85, 87, 90, 96, 134, 135, 273, 339, 394, 415, and they wound up with 625. So this is a miss. They missed, they missed, they they missed on Latham, who they thought they were going to get. They figured out they're not going to get Lee. They didn't get all these other guys. They had they offered this Nolan Rucci kid who was like a big battle um, between Wisconsin and Penn State. Right? Was that Wisconsin? He's a Pennsylvania kid. A yeah. Pennsylvania kid that Wisconsin pulled. So Ohio State wasn't even like right. You know. So that's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's they're bad at recruiting overall. I'm not saying it's the end of the world. But if we are analyzing this one, this thing, they thought for a time they were getting the number seven overall player in the country as their tackle in this class. They got the number 625. So, like, that's not great. They, this, th- just like at times. And again, guess what? Okay, go get the best tackle in the country next year because you know what you're going to tell that kid? Hey, there's like no competition in the class behind you. And if Zen Machowski, I'm sorry, say his name again. You said it right, Zen okay. I, I don't mean to be dismissive of him. Congratulations to him on getting to go to Ohio State. But this wasn't their plan. So whenever they don't wind up with their plan, I think it's worth noting. Well, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world, 
wasn't their plan. Now, every now and then, and you, can, you could persuade me that this should be their plan. This should be a version of their plan. Hey, let's, if we're going to take four offensive linemen in a class, let's have them be two top 100 kids and two developmental late bloomer, you know, diamond in the rough kind of kids or whatever. But I'm just telling you, this wasn't their plan. Or they wouldn't have spent as much time on J.C. Latham and Tristan Lee as they did. Now, to something you said about now they can go into the 2022 class and use the pit step. There's nobody ahead of you. They've had a pattern of doing that. They've done it with the interior guys and the, and the tackles as well. And with the interior, they went and got Wyatt Davis in 2017. And they went and got Harry Miller in 2019 as an interior guy. And in 2021, Donovan Jackson, another five-star guy. And they've done the same thing with the tackles. Nicholas Petit-Frere in 2018, Paris Johnson in 2020. Now, I mean, they got to do it in 2022. They're in the room with some guys like Gunnar Givens out of Virginia who has an Ohio tie, who's a five-star kid. So if they're going to keep on that pattern while also sprinkling in these these developmental guys in between, then that's fine. Because then you are being able to constantly have that pitch of, by your sophomore year, you're going to have an opportunity to get on the field as a starter. And we're seeing that with – we saw Wyatt Davis. We saw it with Harry Miller, who's a true sophomore, getting on the field now. So – if that's the pattern they're going with, then it's not as big of a miss as it would be if they had just missed on – if they didn't have Paris Johnson and they didn't have Nicholas Petit-Frere in, in 2018 and 2020. So I will give them that. I think, it's, I think it's a really good point. I think it's a really good point. That, that is a good point. I will say, though, that they're – you know, this is a, a 2021 recruit. After 2022, after the 2022 season – they're going to be pretty like there's not anybody right now that's playing tackle for Ohio State that is going to be involved after that season. I mean, Dewan Jones is going in his sophomore year. Paris Johnson, we expect, is on a three-year plan. Petit Frere is going to be in his third year. Obviously, Thayer Munford's a senior right now. There just isn't like they don't. They're going to cycle through the talent that they have at tackle pretty quick. So I think they do in 2022. They really do have to kind of hit. And is that guy going to have to be ready to play immediately the way Paris Johnson was thought to be able to come in and maybe play right away? But also, I mean, you, you just never want to get in a spot where you are relying on a first-year offensive lineman to start. I mean, that is never the plan at Ohio State. And if it becomes your plan, it becomes your plan because of failures in recruiting and the classes above them. So to plan on a second-year guy, like a second-year top 50, top 100 guy to start, either as a sophomore or a redshirt freshman, I think is completely reasonable. But boy, when you get in a spot of like, hey, Number 18 kid in the country, come here because we don't have anybody else and we need you to play next year. That's not good. You also don't want to rely on the transfer portal because every time you hit, every time you go in there, that doesn't mean you're going to get Jonah Jackson. Yeah, and tackles, man, I, I just don't know how much tackles float around in there. Because yeah. tackles, the good tackles like play and go to the NFL. They don't stick around and float in the transfer portal. So it's just one of those, I just, we have to, you have to acknowledge this though. If, if, if all you do is live in the boom world, I mean, I feel like it's like, great. again, it is not about the kid. The kid deserves his boom. But when Ohio State's like tweeting, when their recruiting machine is tweeting boom about like the number 625 kid in the country, I'm like, I feel like maybe you should have tweeted miss when J.C. Latham committed to Alabama, right? Because like that's, yeah. that's you a, really thought I mean, you were going to get him and you miss. Now, so again, oh, Hey, what's wrong with Ohio State's recruiting that has the number two class in the country? They're great at this. But in the process of being great at it, you know, sometimes you hit, into a, you hit into a double play. You don't hit a home run every time. So that's fine. So they're fine. Everything's okay. But, Stephen, your main point, they, this puts, just like it did with Tony Alford, with the misses in the running back room last year, mm-hmm. 
Now it puts pressure on 21. He delivered. Doesn't mean I'm not going to point out the misses. Yeah. And But when they deliver, I'll acknowledge it. If Greg Studrawa lands one of the five best tackles in the country in the class of 2022, we'll talk about it all day on this podcast. But guess what? He better do it. He better do it or you're going to start seeing a hole at tackle. And to your point, when you're really good at this, you can get nitpicky over the fact that, you know, Donovan Jackson, yes, you got a five-star guard. You have the number one guard in the country. Congratulations. But he's from Cincinnati. He just happens to live in Texas. He, he got to Texas the same way Garrett Wilson got to Texas. His dad got a job. So that kid's supposed to be a Buckeye. So congratulations on getting him, but you should. That guy should be a Buckeye. It shouldn't be a problem. Where else is this class going? I mean, we've got to be getting close to the end of the, the, what they can take, Stephen. Where, yeah. where else do you see them still making additions as you head into the fall and get ready for signing day? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they add another developmental offensive lineman just for the sake. I mean, you want to also have those guys as well. But I, the only, you know, must-have at this point are the JT Tumalau and Emeka Ubuke. And they might end up being the last two people, actually, who join this class just because of the situation we're in where, where these kids can't really get official visits and stuff like that. JT Tumalau just put out his top seven, which Ohio State expectedly was in. You know, Emeka Ubuke put Ohio State in his top four over the summer. That was expected as well. So it, that's the focus. Whether they add another developmental offensive lineman or not would be interesting, but those two are the focus, those two Washington guys. And if they can get them on campus – on October 23rd through the 24th with this Buckeye Bass, this player-led thing by Jack Sawyer, it tightens their chances, especially at getting JT. Emeka's already been here. JT's never been here. So if they can get those two somehow on campus, or at least in Columbus, and around those other commits, it helps their chances at getting them. I want to touch back on what you said about getting nitpicky, because I do think this does go beyond that. Um, I'm looking at the 2021 offensive tackle rankings per 24-7. Alabama has landed... The players, players, not not the editor's position. The players rank number three and twelve. We're both offensive tackles in the country. Um, the guy number thirteen is Georgia. Guy number fourteen, that's Tristan Lee. It's down to LSU and Clemson. It looks like Wisconsin getting number sixteen and number fifty-one. Not at their position in the country. The offensive tackles rank that highly in the country. There's a West Virginia kid in there. Iowa's got number fifty-two. Oregon's got number seventy-three. Um, Oregon's got number 83, Penn State getting number 80. I mean, that, so that's what we're talking about here. It's, it's, and it goes to Doug's point about the hole. It, no, the, the other people that Ohio State is competing against, and I would say it, it doesn't even matter, just the Big Ten setting aside the Big Ten, but now you're seeing even Big Ten guys are landing, or Big Ten teams are landing these guys. Those other programs aren't, don't have a hole for this season. They're all landing big-time guys at that position, an important position. So I do think it, it puts a, a significant amount of pressure for lack of a better word, on 2022. I, I just think oh. it sometimes when you go really hard on like a, a guy as highly ranked as Latham, I think sometimes it'll scare off other guys. Like, right, if Latham is a, a top 10 national player, there might be a kid who's a top 100, or top 150, or top 200 national player who might be interested, but it feels like, well, they're getting Latham. So, like, I'm going to go talk to Iowa and Wisconsin and West Virginia. And then when you don't get that guy, sometimes when you shoot so high, when you don't get that guy, everything in the middle is already gone. And now you end up having to dip. Now you're flipping a Louisville kid, which again is like, that's not okay. So the kid's a late, a late riser. Great. But again, if Ohio state's not your recruiting plan overall is not flipping Louisville kids because flipping Louisville kids doesn't get you the national championship game. So stuff happens, stuff happens. And, and individual positions have rough, have weird years, but you just can't have two weird years in a row at the same position. Right. That's when you really start. And then you start. That's when you start scrambling in the transfer portal. That's when you start moving, 
moving guys positions. You start turning tight ends into tackles or defensive linemen into tackles because you missed in consecutive years. And so they're, they're just on alert from that. But I think that's a good, that's a good point, Nathan. There's a lot of programs that are lesser programs than Ohio state that locked in tackles that are higher rated than this kid. Wisconsin last has two, tackles ranked 1651 and 105 for this class. Last two things on this one what Doug just said it, that just described what happened with Tristan Lee. They were so in on JC Latham and then they didn't get him. And so they tried to pivot to, to Lee and he noticed that he told me that he noticed that when Latham committed, all of a sudden, all the attention came. They had been talking, but he noticed how much more they were interested in him once Latham came off the table. So kids notice that. Number two, Alabama has an offensive line recruiting class Ohio State should have had in 2021. Tommy Brockenbauer is the number one tackle in the country. J.C. Latham, the number three tackle in the country. Terry Ferguson, the number two guard in the country. And then James Brockenbauer, Tommy's, Tommy's twin brother, is the number one center in the country. That's what Ohio State should have had in this class. Something Hot. of that sort. It's a high bar, man. It's a high yeah. bar, but they want to be held to a high standard. So it's fine. It's not the end of the world, but it really just emphasizes when we are talking about the 2022 recruiting class, as soon as they finish locking down 2021, everybody's going to be talking about how offensive tackle and offensive line is a priority in 2022. And this is why. Let's take a break right here. We are going to come back after the break and talk about the current Ohio State team. On the other side of the ball, we are going to talk about the linebackers. Stay with us. All right, we're back on Buckeye Talk. We got a chance to talk to linebackers coach Al Washington and a few of his players last week. And it's such an interesting position this year, I think, because on one hand, it is a settled position. I mean, you've got three senior returning starter caliber guys spread across that that linebacker unit. And then a fourth, if you want to throw in Justin Hilliard as another senior who has played a decent amount or had a role last year. And then you've got this this three-man junior class behind them that is just scrapping and hungry for its opportunity. So from a veteran depth standpoint, there's no other position like this on the Ohio State team. And yet it's still kind of fascinating because you got guys moving around. You've got what are those juniors and what is their role going to be? Um, and, and I thought that it was one of the more enlightening conversations that we've had so far because we learned so much, you know, um, Pete Werner is moving inside to the will from when he played uh, Sam last year. Baron Browning, who split time at Mike, is now moving out to Sam, kind of more his natural position on the outside. And it was kind of a revelatory day to kind of get a, a full picture of what we think. It gave us a, a very, I think, precise look at what the opening day lineup is going to be a linebacker for Ohio State. Yeah, it's it's almost polar opposite than what we thought it was going to be back in the spring because linebacker was one of the two groups we actually got to talk to before the world shut down. And at that point, Baron Browning was the will and, you know, Pete Warner was still out the sound, but Pete Warner's job is going to be the polar opposite of what it was last season. And so is you know, Baron Browning's in a lot of ways necessarily one's freed up to basically be a seed ball, get ball kind of guy while the other guys, you know, he's is charged with covering tight ends and, you know, being in zone coverage and doing a lot of different things. Yeah, so I went back and watched the Clemson game from last year because Pete Werner said that the coaches told him that his performance in that game was one of the reasons why they thought he would make the adjustment to the will, that this made sense for him. And, Doug, you went back and watched the Penn State game. And the thing that I was struck by was until you sometimes sit and watch what those two guys do, because I was watching Werner and I was watching Harrison, uh, Malik Harrison from last season, the will from last season, to kind of compare – what Pete Werner was doing, and then what he'll be asked to do now, potentially. Although we can talk about that, too, because I think this defense may change a little bit in how it's using linebackers, and that gets into where they're going with Baron Browning. But it, it, it strikes me that uh, – and Pete Werner was kind of upfront about this. Like, it is a big adjustment. 
Um, it, it isn't just you, you stood over here and tackled people. And now you stand over there and tackle people. Very different position. Uh, like, like, like Steven just said, kind of polar opposite positions. And he talked a lot about how it, it stems from how he has to read the field, where he needs to be looking. It goes more beyond that too, though. I mean, what you're involved in as a Mike linebacker play by play is so different than what you're doing at Sam. So, so Will. Will, I mean, Will. yes. He's Will. moving to yep. Will. Will. So when you watch Ohio State, and I feel, I feel we just need to lay down a baseline, I think. I mean, there's, there's some listeners who are better at X's and O's than we are. We are not the greatest X and O podcast in the world. I mean, we're, we're, great, about, we're great at making fun of people and talking about fast food and being entertaining. But listen, I mean, we're, we, you know, none of us are former coaches here. So the Mike linebacker is the middle linebacker. That's the guy who calls the defense. That's what Tough Borland is. Baron Browning has been a middle linebacker his entire career, and I've talked to Baron Browning about this. I just feel like he's not necessarily geared to be a guy who's in charge of the defense and who is thinking about all ten uh, the other 10 guys in the field as opposed to just what he's trying to do on that play. So getting him out of the mic, I think, frees him up. But I thought Baron Browning made sense at Will because Will is weak yeah. side linebacker. That means that you're not lined up over the tight end. And Will Linebacker is run and chase. And I'll get into what Will Linebackers at Ohio State have been in the past, and I think that gives you a good description of what they do. The Sam Linebacker is strong side linebacker. You're lined up over the tight end. And back in the old days, before the spread offense, a lot of times that was like your bigger linebacker because sometimes you were going head-to-head with a tight end when the tight end was blocking you, but you were covering like those big oafish tight ends, and so it was sort of like a power-on-power thing. And in the spread era – that strong side Sam linebacker has become more of a, of a quick guy who can cover in space because you get matched up on tight ends one-on-one. Sometimes you get matched up on slot receivers one-on-one, depending what the personnel grouping's in, if you don't have a third corner in on that play. Darren Lee and Chris Ash talked about, I think he called it the walkout linebacker when Chris Ash got here in 2014. And Darren Lee was the strong side Sam walkout linebacker for Ohio State. He was an in-space coverage guy a lot, that you could cover linebackers, you could cover slots, and Darren Lee fit that perfectly. Pete Werner wound up locked on tight ends in coverage a lot last year. Malik Harrison was run and chase, run and hit. And when you're the will linebacker, a lot of times you have the responsibility to cover the back coming out of the backfield. That's your coverage assignment. But otherwise, a lot of times when a running back runs wide on a toss or a sweep, you're chasing him down. Quarterback run. When we talk about spying, spying a quarterback, often that's the will linebacker. The middle linebacker, you're like catching guys in the, in the hole. You're catching running backs running up the middle. Will linebacker is your playmaker. So I'll be honest. And when we had conversations in the spring and you guys were making predictions about Baron Browning being like the big 10 defensive player of the year, that's based on Baron Browning being the will linebacker. You're free to run and chase and make plays. I'll tell you what, Baron Browning's not going to be the big 10 defensive player of the year. If he's not the will linebacker, Pete Werner is going to lead this team in tackles. And I'm not shocked, but there's a lot to get into. I'm a little, I'm slightly surprised that in the, list of skills that are in this linebacker room that they picked Pete Werner to be the run and chase linebacker when he's been so good covering tight ends before. And I'm not sure who's going to be the strong side linebacker that covers tight ends. And we can get into that Penn state game specifically, but I'll stop talking now, but I'm not sure that if they play Penn state in week two, that Baron Browning is going to be locked up on Pat Frymuth every snap the way Pete Werner was last year which to me opens the door for one of these other guys that is not a starter to get on the field in certain situations. 
And I just, I will remain a little surprised because I thought Baron Browning's ideal fit was the will linebacker in this defense. And that's not what they're doing. The more I watched it though, it made sense to me why Pete Werner could fit there too. Um, that he's someone that I think has is, is, is more solid than you would maybe think at first glance. And that, and, be, and, be, and that's important because when you're in, when you're playing will, when you're playing Sam, when you're playing that strong side, that outside spot, you are so kind of out in space at the start of a play and you're, you're breaking towards the play from being off space. It's almost a reactionary position in some ways. That's, that's oversimplifying it. And I'm sure uh, they would break me in half if they heard me say that, because I'm sure that's not true, but just relative to what the will is where I feel will is very aggressive. It's very contact forward. You're right. You're in the box at the start of the play. You have to on every single play, basically you have to first shed a block from an offensive lineman probably, or someone else, and then go chase. And like you're saying, Doug, it's sideline to sideline much more than Sam is. I, I feel from watching again, from rewatching those games last year. So there, there are, there are elements of Pete Werner's game that I feel like might fit that. I do wonder though, if th- this concept of, of putting Baron Browning now out at the Sam does seem to, the one thing it really negates is what the, one of the reasons why we thought that we were going to maybe try him at the will. And that's what he could do as a pass rusher. Pete Werner wasn't involved in the pass rush at all last year. Now, maybe though, like I was kind of alluding to before, maybe there's a wrinkle here with this new alignment that they make that part of the Sam, but it would be a departure from what they've done in the past. Yeah, Baron Browning, I mean, he works with Larry Johnson sometimes in that group on pass rushing moves. Obviously, we don't know as much about other teams as we know about Ohio State, but outside of Pat Fryer move, who's the best tight end in the, that Ohio State's going to face this year? That's that's probably part of the question. Oh, it's a, but it's a tight end. Nah, well, nah, this is a tight end league. I mean, yes. Michigan always – Harbaugh likes to use the tight end. Wisconsin uses tight ends like crazy. Iowa uses tight ends. I know Wisconsin and Iowa aren't on the schedule. Like defending tight ends in the Big Ten, of all the things the Big Ten sometimes yeah. doesn't have, they have tight ends usually. I mean, Purdue had an NFL draft pick tight end last year, caught a ton of balls. Michigan State has run some tight ends through there. So they're not moving – they're not moving – like this move is not based on the fact that there's no good tight ends in the Big Ten. No, no, especially not considering that the one team they have to beat in the Big Ten this yeah. year, um, to, or the first one they have to beat in the Big Ten this year, has their best offensive player, but is, it might be a tight end. Correct. So, I, I mean, it's based upon what they think these guys do best. It's based on the skill sets of the guys in their room. And I'm just double-checking. Pete Werner is listed at... 6'3", 242, Baron Browning listed at 6'3", 240. So they're exactly the same size. Pete Werner clearly has a bigger neck. This is the end of... Yeah, 220 of that is neck. Yeah. yeah. I think the bullet's back. I think the bullet's back in play. Because last year they didn't need a bullet because Pete Werner was the, was played the neck position. But you're talking about... So, uh, so there's some history here that people have to understand, but also understand that, I mean, obviously every defensive system is a little bit different. Every coordinator uses guys different ways. And a lot of the names that we use for players are like shorthands for positions that are almost a little outdated sometimes, but it's still what, you know, it's what they use. So in 2005, the first year I covered this team, Anthony Schlegel was the middle linebacker for Ohio state. AJ Hawk was the weak side linebacker run and chase led the team in tackles. And Bobby Carpenter was the strong side linebacker, Bobby Carpenter on, on certain downs, we matched up on tight ends. And on third down, Bobby Carpenter was a rush end. And they use guys differently. So it, it, it's one of those things, again, it's very hard sometimes when a player is, is a position, but also 
if a player does something different, it's not really that the position is doing something different. It's that on that snap, they're putting that player at a different position. Yeah. So in the past, usually a nickel, when they only had two linebackers in the field, Baron Browning was that linebacker, was out there a lot. Tough, tough Borland's never out there. But the past couple of years when they've gone nickel, it's been two of the three of Malik Harrison, Pete Werner, and Baron Browning. But it sometimes has been Baron Browning. I'm expecting now, based on this, based on this decision, my guess is when they go nickel this year, I drew I up with this. I yeah. drew up two I drew up what the a third and seven snap against Clemson, the eleven guys, how I think they would be aligned for the defense. And then I group I drew up a first and ten snap against Clemson, how I think guys would be aligned. I think on third and seven against Clemson, Baron Browning is gonna be a rush end. And yeah. it's gonna be something like Baron Browning and Zach Harrison at end and like Tyreek Smith and Teron Vincent inside. And that the rushman package is going to include Baron Browning as a pass rusher, as a hand yep. down lineman or yep. standing up the way Chase Young stood up last year, mm-hmm. but he'll be a, one of their primary pass rushers on third down. And then I guessed that. So now you need two linebackers in that situation on third and long. Cause you're playing nickel, you're playing probably three corners and maybe two safeties behind it or what, you know, I don't know what you're doing. But I would guess those two linebackers – so Baron Browning in the past would be one of those linebackers on the field sometimes. I don't think he will be now. Malik Harrison was one of those linebackers on the field. He's gone. Tough Borland's not going to be one of those guys. He's not going to be on the field on third and seven. So the two linebackers on the field on third and seven are going to be Pete Werner and I think either Kayvon Pope or Dallas Gant. So that creates an opening for one of those juniors to get on the field because I don't think Baron Browning's – I think Baron Browning's going to be on the field – I don't think he's going to be at linebacker. Tough Borland's not going to be at linebacker. So now you open, you open a position for one of these guys who never gets to play to have a role. And that's what I think they're talking about. And I, to be honest, I, I was not on the, the linebacker Zoom call. But they, were they not talking about, hey, they're going to run some different personnel groupings in, right? This, yeah. I think, is one of the mm-hmm. examples specifically of how that's going to look. And I think it, you might see Pope and Gant. You might see Taraja Mitchell in different things. And I think it's interesting. I really am. I am. I am just. I'm a little hmm that like we're gonna get to the point where, and as you said, Nathan, when you watch these, just any Ohio State fan, go watch. Go back and watch any Ohio State game. There's two linebackers in the box, and that's why they say Will and Mike are similar because that's what they mean. The Will and the Mike are lined up next to each other in the box, with run stopping responsibilities or also cover a back coming out of the backfield. Make sure the quarterback doesn't do something. You can blitz from in there. But one of those guys is calling the defense and the other one's not. So that's the difference. So Baron Browning went from being in the box where he can be in there and make plays, but he's also like in charge of everything. And I thought, well, just keep him in there, but don't make him in charge of anything. Let him run around. Don't make him fill holes. Let him run around. And instead they're putting him out on the outside in space, but also being like, hey, that tight end, follow him everywhere. Because that's what Pete Warner did last year. And also, by the way, Last year when we saw Pete Werner as that linebacker position rotate to deep safety every now and then, depending how thick – is Baron Browning going to rotate to deep safety? Is that what you think Baron Browning is? I'm um, just something's, – something's changing because well, that position last year was I, very uh, Pete Werner specific, and now you're telling me you're making Pete Werner do a completely different job, and I, I continue to be a little surprised. You said the bullet is back. I think you're right. Um, and I know that's a bad word at this point, but I'm just like, I, there's something to some of these highlight videos, just the people they decide to put in some of these videos. And they're putting Ronnie Hickman in there a lot. 
and he was hurt all of last year, but that was a borderline top 100 guy. Safety, who might fit that. Obviously, Court Williams was brought in here to play that position, and Court Williams got like 15 pounds on Roddy Hickman. But maybe that's what this is opening up on the third and seven play, is instead of having Pete Warner go back there and be a high safety, you've got the bullet on the field who can go back there and be the high safety. So maybe a guy like Ronnie Hickman or Court Williams, for some reason, ends up having a role as a true freshman, and that's his role on third down situations. And it's just the, the bullet is also the Sam linebacker. That's yeah, also the thing right. that's confusing. The bullet is a in-space, like, cover a slot receiver Sam linebacker, where, like, a Sam linebacker is like an in-space cover a tight end. Yeah. Sam linebacker. It's just it's the same linebacker Werner, without Pete Werner's neck. And Pete Werner could do both yeah. last year. So you weren't rotating. You weren't changing up the personnel because no matter who lined up out there, you figured Pete Werner could handle it. And I just, you know, and again, most of the time, if they have a team that's playing a slot receiver consistently, they're playing three corners and they're not asking that, that Sam linebacker to cover like that. Um, I just think, I think. Well, let me ask you, why yeah. are you more skeptical? Or why are you skeptical that Baron Browning couldn't fill that dropping back to the high safety stuff that Pete Werner did so very occasionally last year? I'm not saying it wasn't because it wasn't something that and even and Pete Werner was asked about that on the Zoom call. So he was asked, I can't remember who asked him, like, hey, you're going to miss dropping back as a safety. And he was like, well, hopefully none of the teams we played noticed I was doing that because we probably would have got burned on it more. And he, he said he's not – he said it was, like, kind yeah. of fun, but he knows he that serious. that wasn't the first priority. He wasn't – they weren't dropping Pete Werner back as a safety because he secretly was a great safety, like he was Brian Urlacher or something like that. I think they were dropping him back just because that's the way that, that play swung around very occasionally. So couldn't Baron Browning do the same thing very occasionally with r- roughly the same aptitude that Pete Werner did it? I love that – again, I wasn't on the call. I love that, like, every time Pete Werner – was forced to do that last year we were like oh my god this is a disaster and then whenever we asked them about it they're like oh it's fine he can handle it and now pete werner is admitting after the fact oh it would have been a disaster <laughs> thanks a lot the same thing <laughs> this is this is why by the way every now and then like coaches or players will say something and we'll say well that's wrong and then every now and then like readers or listeners will be like well how come you know better than the team does and it's not that we know better we're just telling the truth in the moment and they're mm-hmm. lying about it so I'm not pretending that I know more about football than they do. I am more honest than them because I am completely honest every minute of the every day talking about this team. So well, watching, that, watching that Clemson game, I saw it happen. He drops back as a safety. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't remember this play where he obviously got burned for a 70-yard touchdown, right? And then Clemson just, like, dumps it off. And, and so, it's, yeah, I, I, it's funny to hear him in retrospect say, like, oh, yeah, man, we really got away with that, didn't we? So Baron Browning played some safety in high school. So it's like, maybe I shouldn't think that he can't do it. I cannot get rid of my idea, the thought in my head, my hope of just letting Baron Browning be in the middle of the field and chase the ball. That's what Ryan Shazier did at Ohio State, and he was awesome at it. You were like afraid of Ryan Shazier before the snap because you were like, oh, if we give it to the running back, Ryan Shazier's going to chase him down. And if the quarterback tries to run, Ryan Shazier's going to chase him down. And if we throw over the middle, Ryan Shazier's going to blow this guy up. That's what I thought Baron Browning would be. And it doesn't feel like it's going to happen because he's either going to be covering a tight end or he's going to be dropping deep in safety. He's going to be rushing the passer sometimes. All things that I think he's capable of doing, he's just going to get out of here. He's going to leave Ohio State having never done 
what I thought he was going to do when he got here and having never done what I think he thought yeah. he was going to do when he got here, That's- which matters more than what I think. He'll say he didn't come here to be a middle linebacker. He came here as a five-star well linebacker. That's what he came here to do. And then Luke Fickle left, and so he's literally never gotten the thing to do the thing he was recruited to come here to do. Which is fine, but I want to explain why I think this way about will linebackers. And so this is the last seventeen years, and I went back to the AJ AJ Hawk era. In ten of the last seventeen years, which is not overwhelming, but it's still more than half, the will linebacker has led Ohio State in tackles. Those will linebackers who have led Ohio State in tackles. A.J. Hawk in 2003, 4, and 5, Ross Homan in 2009, Ryan Shazier in 2012 and 13, Josh Perry in 2014, Jerome Baker in 2017, and Malik Harrison in 2018 and 2019. And in 18, Malik Harrison tied Jordan Fuller, but I still gave it to him. So the people who have not been the Will linebacker to lead Ohio State in tackles in the last 17 years, six times it was the middle linebacker because, again, it was a little more of an era of catch the running back and also, they were awesome. James Laurinaitis was the middle linebacker. He led Ohio State in tackles every year he played. So that's three. And then Raquan McMillan, awesome. Middle linebacker, led Ohio State in tackles two years. And Brian Roll, who was a little different kind of player. Their linebackers weren't quite as great back then. He led them in one year. And then C.J. Barnett at safety led them one year. And again, Fuller tied Harrison the one year. That's the legacy that I thought Baron Browning was going to be a part of. When I think Will Linebacker at Ohio State, at Ohio State, I think of two people. I think of A.J. Hawk and I think of Ryan Shazier. And I thought that's what Baron Browning was going to be. And it doesn't mean – how do I say this? It doesn't mean that I don't think Pete Warner can do it and be good at it. I'm more, I'm more skeptical of not having Baron Browning play Will than I am of Pete Warner playing Will. You know what I mean? It just – in my own head mm-hmm. – Browning at Will and Werner at Sam made more sense, mostly because I thought Browning at Will made more sense, and I thought Werner could probably do either thing. And so now you've flipped them. I just – that's all. I'm repeating myself on this. So I, I don't mean to doubt Pete Werner because, again, we've talked about this. I said I can't tell if Pete Werner is awesome or not that good. I think in the end he's probably much closer to awesome than not that good. He's a really good across-the-board linebacker who can play any position – I sometimes still think of him as a little guy, which is why I call him the neck, because I like to remind myself he's not a little guy. He's the same size as Baron Browning. And so good luck to Pete Warner. I'm sure he'll be good. I just am curious to see how it's going to break down. One of the other things that struck me from watching that game, though, was um, that last year where, where, like you said, Pete Werner had that, I wouldn't call it a specialized role, but it was a role where where guys bounce around a little bit. I mean, he's not going to leave the field this year, right? He's going to be at the will, and that it's going to be like Malik Harrison was last year. Like Malik Harrison didn't really leave the field, and I think that's going to be right. that might be part of this. That Ohio State saw who is the one linebacker that we need on the field at all times, and if you move Pete Werner to will, that's where he can play that role the most, and then you can interchange with all this depth at those other two spots, and especially on later downs and whatnot. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's probably right. Um, partly but again you've got to think this the skill set listen that Penn State game to get specific again watching that Penn State game Pete Werner followed Pat Frymuth around the field he went one-on-one with that guy almost every snap and Malik Harrison and then either Browning or Borland were in the box chasing down Journey Brown trying to you know every now and then get in on Sean Clifford covering stuff over the middle that is just – it's just such a different responsibility that that's their choice because you can figure other stuff out. If you don't want Pete Warner – Pete Warner knows every position. If you don't want him to leave the field, he doesn't have to leave the field. They are making the decision that when they play Penn State, they want Pete Warner 
chasing Journey Brown and getting after Sean Clifford mm -hmm. instead of following Pat Frymuth all over the field, which maybe is the better use of Pete Werner's skills. And I think that guy is a, is a C-ball, get-ball linebacker. But then I'm just – are you sure that whoever you put at Sam is going to cover Pat Fryermuth as well as Pete Werner did last year? That's, they know better than me. They know better than me. But that, that's the main decision that you're making there. Stephen, are you distraught now at what this might mean for Baron Browning's potential as a, a – I mean, like, like Doug said, I mean, they, you still use him in Russian yeah. in specialized situations. But when he was going to be lining up in the box at will, it certainly seemed like that was going to open the door for him to have an even bigger year as a, a yeah. pass rush guy. Yeah, the arguments, I mean, back when we were having to sit the leading the team in sacks and all that stuff, it's, it's not necessarily on the table the same way. It's, it's probably not going to happen. If the only time he's rushing the passer, it, he's free to do that is on third down. It's just not I – was, I was interested. He seemed very excited about it back in the spring, too, about the opportunity to finally do the thing that he was recruited to come here to do. A lot of those things are now off of the table because he's just going to have different responsibilities other than just being a natural five-star athlete who gets to go chase the ball around. And by the way, if they do wind up playing a bullet more, whether it's Ronnie Hickman or Court Williams or something else, that's like taking Baron Browning off the field sometimes yeah. probably too because they're not taking a middle linebacker off the field, I don't think. So if that's, if that's tough in Taraja, they're staying there, and Pete Warner's not coming off the field. So now who's coming off the field for a bullet? It's probably Baron Browning. Just as a point of reference, our friends 11 Warriors, snap counts last year at linebacker Malik Harrison, the Will linebacker, 701 total snaps. Pete Werner, 593 total snaps. That's 100 snaps. And then Tough Borland, 425. And Baron Browning, 368. So, um, you know, it does, it, it does make a difference. Again, Pete Werner, as that guy who's not coming off the field, he'll be like Malik Harrison. That's who, you, that's who this is. Who's the Malik Harrison of this year? It's going to be Pete Werner. Another break here. We're going to come back and finish up some talk about the linebackers on Buckeye Talk. We are back, and I wanted to touch on Tough Borland, uh, you know, a guy who seems like he probably around one of those guys, you talk to other Big Ten fan bases, and they say, is he in like his 14th year? Because he's one of those guys that I think we even think of it that way sometimes, like just a guy who's just on an indefinite career at middle linebacker, although it, it will be ending after this season now that they get to play it. Uh, I asked Pete Werner, like, what's the thing that people don't understand? I, di I didn't come right out and ask him, hey, a lot of fans really dig on – tough Borland why is that you know what 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 don't they get but that's really the crux of the and, question and podcast hosts and podcast, and podcast hosts, hosts. Listen, and we can't probably, do that. when we say a lot of fans listen we, we do the same thing let's own we, it we, let's own it his name has come up on this podcast so I asked what is it that people don't understand and he talked about um well his first quote was I don't think people understand how good of an athlete he actually is and how much of a leader he really is and he, he went into that a lot um he attacks the meeting room as as well on the field um the way he approaches the game is like no other, and his leadership is the best in our unit, almost the best on the team. I wish people saw that more. He worked hard this offseason on his body and to add to his athleticism. Okay. So how we, we, we wish we, we saw it too. We totally get the leadership thing, by the way. Sure. Yeah, Nobody yeah. does not understand that. We well, that's all we understand. It. Correct. We get the leadership. We get the leadership. So I guess that's the question. Like, so hearing him answer this, how much of this is the player version of coach speak? And how much is there maybe – is there untapped athleticism, for lack of a better word, that they could get out of Tough Orland in this final season? There Another year removed from his injuries and all that stuff. There I think athletically, no. I think he's a smart football player. I think that's what he is. And he plays the position where you need to be a smart football player because you're in charge of a lot of things. So he doesn't have to be the 
most supreme athlete at middle linebacker. He just has to be smart, which he is. I am interested to see that now with Baron Browning no longer being at Mike. Mike, I wonder if Tarajim, if the snap comparison is going to be is going to be the same with Tarajim Mitchell and Tough Boylan as it was with Baron Browning and Tough Boylan. Well, Tough, Tough clearly played more snaps than Baron, but it was not that many more. It was maybe a sixty-five to thirty-five split. Well, by the end of the season, that that split got even. Tough when they were healthy. Tough and Barron was usually pretty fit, pretty fifty-fifty, game to game. When they were yeah, uh, yeah. I'm also taking out the Barron missed two grand as well, so that's probably yeah. yeah it's if, pretty if, you, if you compare it game game by game, late in the season, even there were times yeah. where Barron was playing more snaps than Tough Borland was. Um, and and you especially saw that like early in the game, it would be Tough Borland kind of in there setting the stage. We talked about this before, and it's like 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 Doug was saying, you know, the Mike being the guy that kind of runs the defense and you see other teams there, they base what they do offensively off of the mic. You'll see the quarterback point out the mic before snaps a lot of times. So it's, it's a kind of a, a hinge position on the field, but then later in the game, I think it, they did turn things over to Browning's athleticism. So I, I think that that does still remain to be seen if they're going to follow a similar approach this year with one of these juniors, presumably going in and, and getting that spot. Especially in a world where one's not coming off the field in favor of the other in a third down situation. They both might not be on the field in a third down situation. So the hard thing, I mean, talking again about um, like how long tough Borland has been around here. I'm just, I'm just double checking this. In 2017, the whole thing was that, that Raquan McMillan had been a really good middle linebacker for them in, in, as a co-starter in 14, as a starter in 15 and 16. In 2017, they didn't have an obvious middle linebacker. They started off the season playing Chris Worley, who's clearly an outside backer, at middle linebacker, and it didn't really work. And then when they tried to figure it out, what are we going to do? The answer was Tough Borland. So Tough Borland took over as a starting middle linebacker in 2017, which, as you said, Nathan, may as well be 1931 for the way it feels. And at Ohio State, when you are a good player, you are usually a victim of the previous history of the program because there has been, at some recent point in the history, not a good player at your position, but a great player at your position. So if you are only good, and if you are only good for a long time, People get tired of it. So it's okay. The coaches and the teammates can be like, oh, oh, the media and the fans, they don't appreciate how good tough. He's not Raquan McMillan. He's not James Laurinaitis. I can run through the list of playmaking, game-changing middle linebackers that have existed in Ohio State history, and he's fine, and he's a good leader, and he calls out the defense, and he works hard, and he's the first guy in the weight room. He's not Raquan McMillan. And now he hasn't been Raquan McMillan for four years. So sometimes a guy comes through, and it's like, listen, you can't have Raquan. I, Raquan's NFL career has actually not gone great. He just got traded by the Dolphins to the Raiders. Like they cut, He was a second-round pick and kind of didn't work out. Maybe he'll have a renaissance. I don't know. I loved Raquan. I would take Raekwon if you could give me a hundred years of Ohio State history and say, how about is Raekwon at middle linebacker okay with you? I'd say every time. And I'm not, I mean, I'd take Laurinaitis first, but if you gave me Raekwon, I wouldn't complain. Raekwon was awesome. Good, not great athlete, but just everything you want and a better athlete than tough. So sometimes at Ohio State, if you're like kind of a fill in the gap kind of guy, between great players and you're a starter for a year or two, everybody gets it. You're not going to have an All-American at every position every year. That's what I think people thought Tough Borland was. It's his fourth year of being a starter. It's his fourth year of being a starter. That's all. 
And they have never, and we thought Taraja Mitchell, or we thought Baron Browning was going to like come and blow him up, and it hasn't happened. Now, he doesn't play, actually, he doesn't play starter snaps compared to a lot of other positions. He was the starting middle linebacker last year. He didn't play as many snaps as Jeff Okuda and Chase Young and Malik Harrison and lots of other starters. So it's not that. But he is mostly a victim of he succeeded Raekwon McMillan, basically, with a little bit of Chris Worley in between. And here we are four years later, he's still here, and people kind of can't believe it. And that's all it is. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you chose to play at a program where the bar at your position is All-American. But if you didn't want to deal with that, go to Purdue. Tough Boylan could be the best linebacker in the history of Purdue. Instead at Ohio State, he's just fine. I I don't get the impression that Tough Boylan cares one way or the other. I think he likes winning football games and seems to have the respect of his teammates. So I don't think that's necessarily a a problem for him. It is just one of those things where at Ohio State, you're right. If you play for a long time and you're not an NFL draft pick, people look at that as like some kind of inherent weakness in the program for that period. And I don't know that that's necessarily fair. That's not me me saying that there isn't some better middle linebacker in the world that Ohio State could, in theory, have than Tuck Borland. But I also think sometimes it, it's more of a reflection of the standards that people have more than the standards a team needs to have. And I'm interested, to see what the next, I'm interested to see what the next position is that we're going to have this issue at because it was the quarterback with JT Barrett and how long he was – really good was good but not great and now it's tough Borland where's the next position group where we're going to have a guy who has been a starter for a long time and was good and not great you can even maybe throw Jordan Fuller in that conversation as a guy who was good but he wasn't great I I know a position where it could be um I don't think it will be but defensive end is obviously a position where that could very naturally happen you've had just so many great ones come through Ohio State so if Zach Harrison doesn't become an All-American or Tyreek Smith doesn't become an All-American and they're just both like second team all big 10 guys for the next few years I think people wonder they look at that as like oh they really took a dip at defensive end right no that's right and I mean the one difference is I guys and and I do it I absolutely do it guys still were kind of remain a victim of their recruiting ranking at times and Mm -hmm. the tough Borland Mm -hmm. was just not a huge recruit you know Zach Harrison's different like actually if Zach Harrison like is not awesome it'll be more like hey why is that why isn't he awesome because he was a he was a five-star guy but also Jack Sawyer's coming so like my expectation Mm -hmm. is like I don't think that if, if one of these defensive ends is only good, not great, I think Jack Sawyer is going to take their lunch. But nobody has taken Tuck Borland's lunch. Now, Baron Browning did take it some. He took like, so what? He a took lunch? the apple. He took the apple and the, um, the orange juice. Is this yeah, like orange juice. sandwich? Sandwich, chips, mm-hmm. piece of fruit, yeah. drink, and a little dessert like a cookie? Is that still what a normal yeah. lunch is? Yeah, I would say maybe he took the chips because, like, the chips you would definitely eat and then you'd maybe eat the apple if you had time or still weren't full. So chips I would say, like, the, the cook- chips, chips and the cookie. Sun. Because you're definitely, like, getting through the rest of your lunch and savoring that cookie for last and then somebody takes it and you're like, dude, I was saving that. Is Was anybody ever at any point in the throw your sandwich away brigade? Is that, like, a thing still? I, I was a hot lunch kid, actually. So Okay. I, I was like a hot lunch man. I would go back and eat. If there was a school near me that would let me go pay like two twenty five to have hot lunch every day, I would absolutely go do that. Salisbury steak. Oh, the food court at Ohio State and the student union is pretty good. It's actually probably too varied for your school lunch desires, but I would recommend it. Um, I went to I, school. I went to. I got my hot lunch at a school in the middle of a bean field in nineteen ninety two. So you can probably imagine what it was like. And I was. I still have fond memories of it. So we would say, okay, so, so Baron Browning took like his chips and 
or took his apple and half his chips. Took his apple, and, but I would eat. I mean, if I'm eating my lunch, it the order is cookie, most of the chips, couple bites of apple, and if I have time to get to the sandwich, I get to the sandwich. Also, I have diabetes, so like, <laughs> there's you really, you were, <laughs> unrelated. Oh, were you a type of kid that they constantly had to hide the dessert because you would ruin your your dinner because you try to eat dessert so much? I'm going to pass on that question. I don't want to incriminate myself <laughs> for my lifelong chronic disease. Um, so I just think, uh, yeah, so you're a victim of that. But also it's like, I don't, I know they love him. I just am not going to play and pretend. The, oh, the thing, the one other thing, Jordan Fuller is like starting as a rookie in the NFL. Yeah. Tough Borland will not be a starter in the NFL as a rookie if we're going to compare Tough Borland to players. I think maybe we underappreciated Jordan Fuller, who was, I think, Tough Borland on the back end of the defense, but with more athleticism, right? Mm -hmm. More of a playmaker while also being super reliable and sturdy. So I'm just, I'm not going to apologize for thinking that they could have a better, a better linebacker than Tough Borland. But the other thing, and we've talked about it before, if their plan is guy in the middle, leader, smart, set the defense, the 10 guys around him, NFL players. It's like, okay, if you're going to say we don't need 11 NFL players on the, on the defense every snap, we're going to have one leader Brain. smart guy and let the other 10 be the athletes. Actually, that makes sense too. And that is more or less what they, I think, kind of hope to do this year to some extent. Like I think they think um, I, we'll see about cornerback, but I think they think that that's maybe a plausible goal for this year. So I know Doug has to run. I think that wraps us up for this Tuesday podcast. If you're listening to this Tuesday morning, we are talking to running backs later today on a Zoom call with Ohio State. On Thursday, we have defensive linemen. So we're going to have a lot of more actual football-specific content coming to you this week. Wednesday, look for the text if it hasn't gone out already. Um, we need rapid-fire questions for the Wednesday podcast. So definitely send us your questions, football-related, whatever related. We're, we're looking for a nice big bunch of them for a nice long podcast on Wednesday. So I'm Nathan Baird for Doug, for Steven. That was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>